The text this morning in connection with the ministry of the tabernacle in the holy place is Psalm 134, doxological song, a song of ascents. Psalm 134, this is on page 519 in the Pew Bible. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And we'll sing this psalm together in response to the word that we hear this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this very brief psalm that we just read together, Psalm 134, this is a doxological song, doxology, that's a song of praise, it's a song of thanksgiving, it's a song that that exalts the name of the Lord, giving Him worship, giving Him thanks and praise for his infinite greatness and for his goodness that he has shown toward us. That's the function of a, of a doxology. We give praise to God in recognition and in response to all that he has shown us and all that he has done for us concerning our salvation because of just who he is as Lord and God. Here in this psalm, in this particular doxology, the central emphasis is on the praise that is given to our wonderful God when His people are drawing very closely together and close to Him in worship. We sing this song, we sing this song well, we sing this song blessing the Lord when we understand the amazing nature of being in His holy place with Him in a special time of worship. And when we understand everything that goes into us being able to be with God in His holy place, in His presence, with His holy people, then this song that we sing is that much more powerful in our hearts and and on our lips. This morning, we're paying particular attention to the references of the holy place of the tabernacle of God that we find in this psalm. So in Psalm 134, verse 1, we sing there, Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all you servants of God, everyone ministering before Him, especially the the priests who draw especially near to him and and to the Levites who are there in the tabernacle who sing praises day and night in the holy courts. All of you, come bless the Lord. Verse 2, lift up your hands, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. This especially, the holy place, the, the 
the home of the Lord, the tabernacle of God, this is a place where worship is powerful. What activity now is going on there in that holy place that causes us to be able to sing this song with full hearts? What's going on there that causes us to praise the Lord and bless Him as we're commanded to here in this song? Well, last week as we considered the courtyard of the tabernacle of God, our attention was turned to the service that was offered there, the service that needed to be offered there for His people to actually be able to be in fellowship with the Lord. We were reminded so very sharply with that ministry of, of the altar of sacrifice and, and that bronze laver for purification. We were reminded so sharply of the contrast that there is between holy God, pure and holy God, and people who are stained with the pollution of sin. We are reminded of the marvelous gift that God gives, that despite our sins, despite our pollution, despite our lack of the holiness that we're supposed to have, we somehow are able to be near to God and to have Him live with us and and now to live in us. That altar for sacrifices in the courtyard along with that wash basin, these things taught so very clearly that God was addressing the sinful state, the sinful situation of His people, and He was doing something about it. He was removing it so that we could experience the great blessing of fellowship with Him and the blessing of life that has lived so intimately with our God. And it's here now in the holy place So there's the courtyard, there's the holy place, and then even deeper into the tabernacle is the most holy place. Well, it's here in the holy place that God teaches about the richness of the fellowship that God has given for us to enjoy with Him. What kind of life are we able to live with God now that our sins have been addressed and we're able to experience every blessing with Him as our God? It's a rich and full blessing indeed that causes us to be able to sing with the fullness of heart the words of this psalm, Psalm 134, blessing and thanking God for all of that. So we'll get into that now. What are we praising God and thanking Him for? When we look behind that first curtain, that curtain that that serves as a gateway into the, the holy place, We see there that the ministry that is conducted there by the priests, it has to do with the wonderful things that God is doing for us, His mere creatures whom He loves. The ministry in that holy place shows the ways that God is showering blessings on the people who belong to Him, providing all things for our lives with Him. And and what a comfort that, as we see in in verse 3 of of Psalm 134, that the one who blesses us, the the God whom we live with, this God is the creator of heaven and earth. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. He is the one from whom we receive all of these blessings in life, in this life and in the life to come. The one who called all the universe into existence, the one who upholds and governs all things by his divine power, by His providence, He is the one who is blessing your life. 
So here in this holy place, we would see three pieces of furniture that teach us about that blessed life. There's first this beautiful golden or these beautiful golden holy pieces of, of instruction. These are we read these from Exodus chapter twenty-five and, and thirty. And before we get into each one of these pieces of furniture, we have to remember that these items are in the holy place, and this is a place where nobody is allowed to go except the priests. If you were a normal Israelite, you know, a run-of-the-mill Israelite from any of the other tribes, then you in your life would never lay eyes on any one of these objects. You would never actually witness the ministry of these things being carried out. And that speaks to the profound holiness of the ministry of the Lord. You would never see these things. You would never witness them. You would only learn about them through the instruction that you would receive about them from the priests, from the Levites. Everything about these things is holy and sacred, and every single piece of a part of service that is done in relation to them is done with the utmost of care, exactly according to God's command, or the offender would die. And this is because of the holiness of God and the purity of His worship. And this speaks, of course, to the holiness of life that we have with our God. Nothing is changed. God is as holy now today as He was back then. He is as perfectly pure and He is as against sin as He ever was. And so this this elevates our sense of our relationship to Him. Our relationship with God is a holy thing. So, if you were a priest, if you were a priest allowed to serve in the holy place, then you would be able to go in, but you would have on your your pure, sacred, priestly clothing. And as we saw last week, you would make your way through the courtyard of the tabernacle. You would go to the bronze wash basin and you would wash yourself before pulling back the curtain and stepping into that, that very holy sanctuary, the holy room of God's house. And what would you see there? On one side of the room, you would see the golden lampstand, this lampstand burning a clear, clean olive oil, and it's giving light for anything that goes on there in that sanctuary. So the lampstand on one side, and on the other side, you would see a, a golden table for the bread of the presence, along with all of the utensils, and then also there was incense and, and other things on there. And then finally, just in front of the other curtain, so as far back into the holy place as you could go, in front of the other curtain, that curtain that leads into the most holy place, right in front of that curtain, there would be the golden altar of incense. Now, these three pieces of furniture, how does... How do these pieces and how does the ministry that is conducted there in that room with these objects, how does this speak to God's people and comfort them? Think about what these objects teach. Let's start with the golden lampstand. The golden lampstand in the holy place. Well, this was there to give light for the activity that was going on in the holy place. 
Think about it. There were absolutely no windows in the tabernacle. The, the structure of the tabernacle was covered by several layers of, of animal skins and woven fabrics, tapestries. And so this lampstand was the only source of light, and it was a holy light for the service there. And this light was something that, that burned constantly, day and night. And the point here is that God, in His covenantal fatherly care, He is giving light for His people to see. It's, it's pretty simple. He provides illumination in the darkness so that you can make your way. The Israelites would remember how as they were making their way through the desert, the glory of God would be in front of them. In the night, He appeared in front of them as this pillar of fire glowing in the night, showing the way that they should go on their, on their way to eternal rest. The light of God was given to them. In the Gospel of John, we are presented with Jesus as the one who finally brings the true light of God into the fallen and sinful and, and blindness of the world. John 1, verses 1, verses 4 through 9, we read here, in Him, so this is in the Son of God, in the Word, in Him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then later on in John, Jesus proclaims this very thing about himself. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here in this ministry in the, in the holy place of the tabernacle, so many years before, God was promising this light that would come and be the light of the world in the middle of the darkness that was prevailing. What a blessing that as children of God, He has caused His light to shine in the world for us so that, so that we don't live in that blindness that, that has come over all of creation because of this fall into sin. We'd be groping around blindly, lost on the wrong path, but He has given us His Son who has opened the way of salvation his Son who has showed us the way, who, has, who shines His light in our hearts with His Holy Spirit so that we can see. We have to understand how wonderful it is that we are able to recognize the salvation that God has given to us. He has given us His Word. He's taught us His way. And He has given His Spirit to be in our hearts so that we can not only comprehend these things and understand them, but be able to accept them and believe them and celebrate this life that He has given. We were blind, and now we can see. We look ahead to our life in the holy city of God when every, every bit of blindness that, that still hangs around, the blindness that still plagues us and, and causes us to sin, 
when every bit of that blindness and darkness is gone and we are bathed in the glory of God. We read this in Revelation 21, 22 through 25. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamb, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. What a wonderful existence that is. Through Jesus Christ, God has given us the most splendid light that we could ever imagine. God has provided holy light for us to make our way in this world on our way to the new Jerusalem, the holy city. So He's not only given us knowledge of the way of salvation, but He's also given wisdom for your life as His holy people. He has taught you how to live as people who have been forgiven all of their sins, who have been renewed by the Holy Spirit, and now we can walk in this newness of life. The people of the Old Testament didn't know all of these details of the light of Christ who was coming. They didn't know as we know who have this full revelation of God, the beauty and splendor of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the light who came into the world. But they had assurance here. They had the promise of God that, that this was coming. They had assurance through this ministry in the holy place that God would always be their teacher and guide. And we have the fulfillment of this promise through our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in the marvelous light of God. Second piece of furniture is on the other side of that holy place, the golden table with the bread of the presence of God. Every single week, 12 new loaves or cakes of bread, they would be prepared and stacked on this golden table of the bread of presence. And we can recognize the imagery right away with that number 12 that has to do with the 12 tribes of the people of God. They are being represented here. This bread, it wasn't destroyed on an altar, burned up as an offering to God, but this bread was given for the priests to eat in the holy place. They eat it in a holy place in the presence of God. So this is bread that is presented there for the people of God. The bread was this very powerful symbol of the covenantal relationship that God had made with His people. He would provide everything that they needed for body and soul. Think about as they were going through the desert, what was that promise that was comforting their hearts as they were, had left Egypt and as they were on their way to a new place? God had promised that He was bringing them to a land flowing with milk and honey. He was telling them that 
They were going to go into a land that was filled with fields that they didn't cultivate, homes that they didn't build, wells that they did not dig. They were receiving it as their inheritance, an inheritance that is received from their heavenly Father. God, in their new life, in this new land, God would provide them with absolutely everything that they would ever need. God is the one who provides food and drink in perfect time and in perfect measure. And bread, of course, is a very powerful picture for us, isn't it? <clears throat> We're reminded of this so clearly, so sharply, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that the body and blood of Christ is food and drink for our hungry and thirsty souls. In John 6, verse 35, and, and this is repeated everywhere in that passage, Jesus proclaims that he is the bread of life. In the promised land, God was providing everything for his people, and Jesus is the spiritual and eternal fulfillment of that fatherly care. He is our daily food and drink, ensuring that whoever partakes in him will not die, but will be nourished and will live eternally with God. Excuse me for a second. I'm just going to turn this fan on. A little toasty up here. So like the, the light that God gives to His people, this gift of, of bread, of, of nourishment, this isn't only a comfort and an assurance for the future, but it's, it's a twofold picture. God has provided us our spiritual nourishment. He has given us food that gives everlasting life, but He also promises as our covenant God, as our faithful Father, that He will provide us with our daily provisions as we're making our way through this life toward our eternal home. Through Jesus Christ, God has adopted you. He's adopted you as His children. And we can be very confident that, that we will never lack whatever we ought to have according to God's will. That's His promise for you in, in the form for, for baptism. We're reminded with such comfort that when God, when we are baptized into the name of the Father, God promises us that He will avert all evil from our life. He will, he will provide us with all good. He will avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. In short, He will provide us with everything that we need for body and soul to prepare us for our eternal life with Him. Now, this last piece of furniture that we want to turn to here in the holy place is the altar of incense. Now, what is the, the function of incense? What's, what does it mean? What is it for in a, in a general sense? Well, incense, incense only has one job, right? It's to provide a pleasing aroma. It's to provide a smell that gives pleasure. That's it, right? People burned incense in their homes just for the pleasure of it. In, in the text that we read in, in Exodus uh, chapter 30, God gives uh, warnings about not using this 
very holy recipe of incense for common use. This is holy incense that is only to be used in the tabernacle. And this is the only recipe that may be used in the tabernacle. In Leviticus chapter 10, we read about the sons of Aaron, Nahab and Abihu, offering incense. So, so unauthorized fire. So either they had, had brought in um, uh, a, res- a, a different recipe and wanted to burn that on the altar of incense before the Lord, or it was the, the correct recipe, but they burned it in an unauthorized way. We don't know what it was, but at, at any rate, they, they burned or they brought unauthorized fire before the Lord, and God's holiness broke out against them, and they died, right? So this is a very sacred thing. Has to be done exactly according to the Lord's command. Now, the altar of incense is about the transcendent pleasure of deep communion with God. At heart, this is our life of prayer. Our prayers to God are a sweet-smelling aroma to Him. And they are a great blessing to us. This is something we read in uh, Revelation 5, verse 8. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The prayer, the communication, this communion between God and his people is an indescribably sweet thing. It is pleasing to God when our prayers ascend before Him into His presence. It's in prayer that we, that we pour out our heart before God. It's in prayer that we share the intimate details of our lives with Him, and, and it's in prayer that we ask Him for His wisdom, and He comforts us in our hearts by His Holy Spirit. He makes His Word come to light in our minds. Prayer, this deep communion with God, is a loving pleasure that we need. Just as an illustration, think of how not only enjoyable but necessary it is for you to speak with someone that you care about. Think of how eager and willing you are at times to to just talk with somebody that you love. Maybe you remember, or it's the case now, that you have a boyfriend or girlfriend that you can just talk to for hours and hours on the phone. You relish the time in the evenings when you can sit with your husband or wife after all the daily chores and activities are done and you just share your hearts with each other. You have a good friend that you speak to regularly and it is refreshing and it is encouraging. That communion is 
is a pleasure and it's a blessing for you. It builds you up and encourages you. And yet, as wonderful as, as these beautiful things are, it's nothing compared to the communion that we're able to have with God through prayer. All of these ministries in the holy place, receiving the guiding light, this wisdom, instruction from God Himself, being sustained with bread for body and soul, enjoying the richness of fellowship, communion with God. God has given us all of these things in the fullest measure possible while we are here on earth. And we should remember, remember that all of these things, these, these things that pictured this blessing of life with God, these things were concealed behind a curtain in a place that most people couldn't go, only the priest, but through Jesus Christ, we have been given access to such a rich measure of all of these wonderful blessings. And this is why we can sing this doxology that is before us so passionately. We're not only welcomed into the holy place in God's presence, but as the church, we have become it. We are the holy home of God. It's all here. Everything that is pictured here in, in this tabernacle, we've been given all of these blessings through Jesus Christ in, in a great measure, and yet a fuller measure is coming in glory, but we've been given all of these things through Jesus Christ. These blessings of God, light, wisdom, knowing the ways of God, how to live with Him well, this blessing of bread, which is our spiritual nourishment, not only for this life, but for the life to come, and this intimate communion with God. Remember, these things are not available to anyone if sin has not been dealt with first. That was made so very clear last week. The blessings of the holy place, the blessings of life with God, the kind of life that He designed us to have with Him from the very beginning, the restoration to that relationship with God is not possible without the sacrifice and the purification that occurs in that courtyard. But God has provided the sacrifice and the washing away of all of our sins through the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so now through Christ, He now abundantly blesses the lives of those who have been reconciled to Him. Sometimes we don't even realize how sort of strange and, and unlikely the blessing of life is in the church. The world is, is a hard place to live. Broken relationships, searching for some kind of fulfillment and satisfaction in life and finding it in, 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 in illicit substances or relationships. not finding purpose or meaning, and so falling into despair. Having illnesses, sicknesses overcome you, and there's no, there's no comfort in them because 
without this fellowship with God and the promise of eternal life, life is just a few days to live here on earth and then it passes away. What despair, what sadness. But God has given us the true richness of life through Jesus Christ. There is no life to be lived without these kinds of heavenly blessings, and they are all yours through Jesus Christ. You've been given this incredible gift of, of knowing what life is all about now. God has given you His wisdom so that you can know how to make your way through this life with His help and with His guidance with the power of His Holy Spirit. You can be confident that you will never lack anything in this life that you ought to have because the maker of heaven and earth is your provider. And you have been brought near in fellowship to God. You can have sweet, sweet communion with Him even in this life. And so that brings us sort of full circle. We know how we can be near to God, how we can be allowed in His presence, in His home, in His holy place. We know the great cost of the blessings that He has conferred on us, the cost of the life of His Son, Jesus Christ. We're comforted that our life now is secure, and it is very sweet and blessed, including all the hardships that God has given for our refinement. So now we are equipped to praise Him and thank Him with these words from Psalm 134. Our hearts can respond with proper praise because we know what He has done. We know the love that He has shown us in saving us and in reconciling us to Himself. We, we can really give God this doxology now. We know what it means. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. How thankful are we for all of this. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Amen.